Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Week two was explosive, injuries and upsets dominating the NFL landscape with some thrilling games to look back on. My name is Paul Mitchell. My name is Gordon McGuinness. Don't worry, unlike most of the 49ers, Cameron Hobbs has not been placed in IR. Instead, he's away learning the 49ers playbook, as in theory, he's the next man up. So much to talk about and to help us with the conversation, we're delighted to welcome NFL Scotland's very own cheesehead with a passion for chicken wings, Charles Patterson joins us. Charles, and we'll start with you, Aaron Rodgers en route for MVP. Isn't it great to be 2-0? and oh? I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it fantastic? Gordon's grinning there. And it I'm, is wonderful. It's brilliant. It's a wonderful place to be. Um, I was looking at the stats of teams that are 2-0 and and their chances of reaching the playoffs, um, and they're pretty high. So, yeah, things are good. Everything's, it's, you know, late September, the leaves are turning, and, yeah, two, as, as they say, two arrows make a right, which <laughs> is also the, uh, the name of my fantasy team, which, incidentally, is bottom of the pile at the moment, but let's not go there. I, th- I think you can handle that, and Gordon... <laughs> The, the Ravens, nice win on the road. Yeah, the really weird thing about the Ravens through two weeks is I don't think they've looked that good. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. They haven't looked anywhere near as good as they are. They're not making mistakes, which is fine, but they don't look as dominant. And they've still you know, beat the Browns and the Texans by a couple of touchdowns each. So, um, you know, they're going to face a far bigger test this week. But it's, it's, nice, to, it's nice to be 2-0 without them really having to have broken a sweat so far. It is pretty good. I mean, the Thursday night game, we'll, we'll start very quickly with that. I mean, the Browns 35, Bengals 30. Uh, Joe Burrow is the first rookie in NFL history with 60-plus passing attempts with no interceptions. It's looking bright for the Bengals despite the, the, the record, I guess, Charles. I think that the Bengals have got a lot to work with going forward, but they're, they're, they're still a, a big project, I think, there for, for Zach Taylor. And, and Burrow's a, a really interesting quarterback to watch, but the defence is still not, it's not up to scratch in that division, especially, which is so, so difficult. And we'll be talking about, you know, the, the Steelers and the Ravens maybe a little bit more later on, especially the Steelers. But um, it, was, it was more of an acid test that night for the Browns, I thought. If Cleveland wanted to be taken seriously, I had to win that game. And they did. And the pieces are there to, for them to potentially make a playoff run this year but they've got to get it right and the, the way they do that is by building on that running game and that running game is phenomenal they've got Kareem Hunt now almost back to what he was in Kansas City in his rookie season and, and Nick Chubb is obviously a phenomenal running back so that was that was a, a must-win game for Cleveland but I mean if you're a Cincinnati fan things could not have been worse over the last 20 years really at all so, I mean, you know, the one time that they, they looked like they were going to do something, I remember 15 years ago, Carson Palmer did his ACL in the playoffs and that was it. Um, and they've never done really anything since under Andy Dalton. So they've got a guy now in Burrow who, who looks great for the future, but they're not there yet. And it's, it's probably more the Browns that are going to feature, I think, in that division than, than the Bengals. Yeah, I think what I thought was really interesting, I was messaging a friend before the game, and I said, probably similar to your kind of test for the Browns, that if Baker Mayfield had come out and played as badly in that game as he played in week one, I would have started to get really concerned that you're reaching the point with him that there's no com- there's no coming back from, you know, and whether or not it was coaching or something that ruined him last year or himself, doesn't really matter. It's about, you know, where they get to next. But he got back at least kind of on some kind of track. I don't think he was great in the game, but... 
definitely wasn't bad. Um, so that, for them, I think, gives them something to build on for the rest of the year. And then for the Bengals, I, I think this year the record really, you know, unless they go 0-16 and Zach Taylor gets fired, um, I don't think the record really matters. I think it's really just about coming out of this year, you know, knowing you've got something in Joe Burrow, you know, and having him ready to try and attack next year because they're going to hit a point in a couple of years where the rest of the division are going to have to be paying a lot more money on quarterbacks than they are. So that's going to be their opportunity to try and catch up a little bit. An interesting stab at Burrow, he's the first rookie in NFL history with 60 pass attempts and no interceptions. So he clearly knows what he's doing. They've obviously they've picked a good one, and he's a young guy. So give him time and build the pieces around him. But God's sake, they need a defence. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Funny about Baker Mayfield, I don't know if, depending on which stream that you watched, but he, he's, he's the showman for progressive insurance at the moment. Yeah. Now, imagine you were going backwards and you were actually the showman for progressive. So I think he, he had to win that particular game. Another rookie quarterback that I want to talk about is... Um, well, it's Tyrod Taylor's replacement. I think everybody was surprised to see Justin Herbert uh, take the opening snaps against the Chiefs no more than Tyrod Taylor. And it comes out today, as, as we record this, a doctor messed up a painkilling injection and punctured Tyrod Taylor's lungs. Now, um, there, there's something in this about somebody doing something to Tyrod Taylor that didn't quite work and was off the mark. That almost seems, you know, Tyrod Taylor-ish. But that has to be, Gordon, one of the most bizarre injuries I've ever heard. Yeah, and, and apparently it's, it's a more common thing, not, not as, a, as a sporting injury, but because the ribs are so close to everything that's in there, it's apparently not the hardest thing in the world to do. But for, for a starting quarterback to be you know, out on, on the field for warm-ups and all of a sudden he's having breathing difficulties because he's got a punctured lung, um, it's just one of the wildest things that has happened in you know a, a year that's had plenty of wild moments. That was a, a new one to, to tick off the list. But what a great way, Charles, to start your career. I mean, Justin Herbert had no intention of starting that game. He had no pressure. He had no worry. He had no build-up. You're obviously ready. You know you might have to go in. But I actually thought he looked all right. Yeah, I thought he looked good too. And it would have been the lack of thought and the lack of time to to actually get, gather your thoughts. It's probably done him the world of good and they were so close to, to knocking off the champions. And actually, it was interesting after the game, Anthony Lynn said, oh, Tyrod Taylor's going to be our starter if he's 100% right. Now, maybe he's just trying to say the right things there to keep, you know, to keep the peace. But if you're Justin Herbert, you must be thinking, hang on a minute, I've done, I've done a great job here. I must be in with a shout of starting in week three, even if Tyrod Taylor is fit. Um, and it looks like he probably will now because if, if there's an investigation going on about this, then it may well be that Tyrod Taylor can't play. I, I'm still catching up with Hard Knocks and I've seen a couple of the episodes and actually watching Herbert in training camp, he looked really impressive, really impressive. So, I mean, he is the future of that franchise and it may well benefit, it may well benefit the Chargers in, in, inadvertently that this incident could actually help them, I think. The, uh, the thing from that game that really annoyed me was you get to overtime against the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions. It's fourth and one, and you're in overtime. Don't give him the ball. What, why, why are you kicking the ball back to back? Everyone knows what's happening. You're just delaying the inevitable. Go for it on fourth down. See if you can convert. You know, Maybe you then get a chance to go and win the game. As soon as they punted that ball away, you knew exactly what was coming. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's a 
if it's touchdown, they've got to get that's different. But field goal, I mean, you would bet on Kansas City all day long. I mean, Herbert, 22-33, 311 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Did you like the way you looked, Gordon? Yeah, I mean, rookie quarterbacks are never going to look or very rarely look great. But I think in terms of, you know, where you want him to be in, in terms of giving him the chance to start again, he wasn't bad enough that you look at that situation and think, okay, he's not ready for this. He, he was good enough that he, even if Tyrod Taylor is healthy, I think you've got to say, right, we're going to go with Herbert, at least for the next couple of weeks, see where he is. You know, again, it's similar to a situation with the Bengals. The, the Chargers had some big injuries that I think have probably taken them out of you know any serious playoff contention this year, at which point you're again building for next year. So unless Herbert is showing you on the field that he's not ready and you're hurting his development by having him out there, you're really not losing anything by starting him and getting him more invaluable experience. I think Herbert can lean, though, on a, on a very strong running game. And he can also lean on a defense, which, albeit Derwin James is, you know, is gone for the year. They've still got a good pass rush. And I think that they will win games. And you know, there are teams in their division. One is, one is maybe unproven in terms of its playoff credentials. And the other one is injury hit. And I, th- I think, they're still, I think that they're, they're still viable for the, for the playoffs. He's got more to work with than perhaps Burrow's got. And he's possibly, and certainly, if Tua comes in in Miami, he's certainly got more to work with. <laughs> Tua in Miami, there's no doubt about it. He's probably in the best position of the rookie quarterbacks to, to have a shot at, at getting to the playoffs this year. But, but I agree. I think Anthony Lynn would, would have got hammered in other markets for the, the play call not to go for it. Um, but he gets to it. Now, let's talk about play calling because perhaps my favourite game of the week was the Falcons against the Cowboys. Now, I, I, I messaged a friend of mine who was a Cowboys fan uh, just in the, in the first half to ask if Jerry Jones was doing the play calling. Um, I mean, he, he was not happy. We were keeping him away from sharp implements. But how can you blow a game, in all seriousness, how can you blow a game as badly as you can in in those circumstances, the Cowboys, to be fair to them, looked as if they never gave up. But I mean, statistically, I think it was under two percent win probability at one point. In, in Scottish football, is it not known as hibsing it? it? Used to be. I'm not allowed to say that, but I'm not Falcons going to disagree. Isn't it? What, what would you call it? Oh, it's, so, I mean, it, it is Falcons in it. Yeah, Falconsing it. We're going to. We've got to mention the letter, don't we? That we that was has been doing the rounds on social media. So this um, this supporter who has written to the Falcons, this uh, dear, the second best team to call Mercedes Benz Stadium home. It begins. <laughs> it is I mean, not wrong with that. Yeah. Well. It is with immense frustration and grief, I must inform you, I am resigning my position as an Atlanta Falcons football fan, effective immediately. Following the second worst loss in NFL history, the first belongs to you and your implosion in Super Bowl 51. Obviously, the famous Patriots comeback. And he said, you've had since June the 30th, 1965 to win a big game and for 20,171 days, you failed to do so. In my 28th year of existence, I have decided to no longer embrace the suck. It is not me. It is absolutely and definitively you. It's the, one, it's the most wonderful fan reaction, I think, to any, any disastrous defeat in the history of sport. It's brilliant. 
Wouldn't would you like the, the PR department to come out with a T-shirt that simply says, embrace the suck ATL with a Falcon logo? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, their, their social media department, and I, I feel terrible from them having you know come from that background myself, but they, they tweeted up 20 nothing. They tweeted out a picture from Stephen A. Smith from First Take or whatever ESPN show it was in a Falcons jersey asking him how he was feeling. You are the team who blew a lead in the Super Bowl that people still make fun of you for. How do you not understand that at 20 to nothing up, you cannot celebrate? You can't. You're the, you're the one franchise who has to understand better than anyone. You can't celebrate at that point. And then, I mean, the onside kick attempt, like, there's a great image of it, like overhead almost. And the, the Falcons players are just waiting for the ball to come to them. You don't need to wait 10 yards. It's the other team that have to wait 10 yards for the ball to get there. You, you can dive on it after three yards. The ball trickled very slowly, and the Falcons players just stared at it and waited for someone to dive on it. It was just one of the most bizarre ways to lose a game. But you know, Have you ever seen an onside kick like that, though? I've never seen any kicker kick an onside kick the way that Greg Zerling kicked that. It was extraordinary. It so again, just it, it was. It looked very much planned, like it was going to be this slow roll, almost as if they went into it. And they've changed the rule for onside kicks, so you now don't get a run up if you're the um, kicking team. And I, I think realistically, there's probably something to the fact that just try and do something weird that makes the ball trickle, and try and confuse people. And if you confuse them enough, they might forget to jump on the ball, and that's exactly what happened. It, it, it was an ending day. When I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, jump on the ball. It's there. Just just pick it up. It's over. Um, but obviously, they, they couldn't hear me, so that, that was fairly pointless. Talking of fairly pointless, uh, Cameron stuck a fork in the Jets last week mm. after week one. Now, <laughs> that was pretty brave because his uh, San Francisco 49ers then went to play it. San Francisco 49ers, some people think they're named after the gold rush of 1849. Of course, they're not. They're named after the number of players they got injured at the weekend. Uh, I don't think they're going to have anybody left. I've never seen anything quite like that to so many high-profile players. It's tough, isn't it? And But they've got depth. So, I mean, Raheem Mostert's... He ran 80 yards on the first play and then did his ankle. But they've got Jarek McKinnon to, to, to back him up. I think it's Nick Bosa's the one, isn't it? That's yeah. an absolute yeah. nightmare. It's a nightmare for them. They have got such a, a big a, a big number of, of bodies, though, you know, in that defence that, that have caused problems, you know, over the last kind of couple of years for teams. And they've still got Eric Armstead. I think Tom Thomas has done as well. He's done for the year two. Um it's going gonna, it's gonna to cripple them. I still think that they are good enough to get to the playoffs. Um, they, I, said at this, I said a couple of months ago, they remain the benchmark in the NFC. But this is going to be really, really hard. They need, they need George Kittle back pronto. They really do because they, their division is, is, is tough and they've got some big games coming up and you don't want to get to a situation that you're behind, you know, under 500 and you've got injuries. It's, 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 it's brutal. But they're playing the Giants this week, so they're probably going to still be 2-1, and one, even though they've got all these injuries. It's yeah. certainly, certainly the way you go. Talk, talking of injuries, I mean, Denver have lost Drew Locke and we saw Jeff Driscoll come in. Now, I didn't think, you know, when we were going to be doing this podcast, Gordon, that we'd be talking a great deal about Jeff Driscoll. But 18-34, 256 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and he nearly got them past Pittsburgh. He was not terrible, um, which is 
which is saying something for a guy, you know, just coming in off the bench in that situation and a guy who wasn't a particularly good college quarterback and, you know, is very much a backup quarterback in the NFL. The the really tough thing with that for Denver is that Drew Locke was a second round pick and there's a time on how long they have to figure out if he is the answer or not a quarterback and him being out for five or six weeks, um, if that's where it winds up being, you're only going to get about half a season's worth of work out of him. You're going to get half a season where he's come back from injury, so there's an excuse there for why he might not play as well. The The long-term impact of him missing these five or six weeks could be pretty big for them. Um, and then, <laughs> I mean, I suppose we have to add that the, the addition they made um, which is potentially subtraction by addition, is that Blake Bortles is now their new their new quarterback. I, I, I'm assuming he's not going to start, but you know, at, at some point, John Elway does love adding quarterbacks that are six foot five or taller. Um, and Blake Bortles, who was not on an NFL team, has uh, has found his way back. I, th- I think that's great. There's something comforting in in these pandemic times that we will at least get to see Blake Bortles throwing an interception <laughs> this year. So I think that's quite comfortable. Josh Allen, a lot was made of him at the start of the season. Could he live up to the hype? Certainly looking like it, Charles. I mean, he, he threw really well. Again, a game closer than you would like, but he's won a divisional game on the road. They go back up the road 2-0. and The Bills are doing what they need to do. Yeah, he's. I, I love watching Josh Allen um, because... He's he's a proper he's a he's a he's a big he's a big guy he's athletic, but he's a character as well. You just you do wonder when he's going to throw a ball out the stadium just because he lets go of it too quickly. He's got this cannon of an arm, and he's now got obviously a legitimate number one receiver in Stephon Diggs. So they are they have got to be taken seriously, the Bills, and they have. I think they've kicked on from where they left off at the end of of last season. They obviously made the playoffs. They perhaps should have won in Houston. And I think that they, they would have probably been kicking themselves right through you know, the lockdown, thinking, you know what, we were better than Houston. And I think they are a better team than Houston now. Um, and it's, you know, it's difficult to judge the, the Patriots yet, but the Patriots are obviously going to be a really good run for them in the AFC East. But I think the Bills are a legitimate force and have got to be reckoned with now. And Josh Allen, is, it's his team now. He's in year three. This was the year that, a lot of people said, well, is he, is he going to step up and be an elite quarterback? He threw for 400 yards and he, he's throwing for touchdowns. He's not running for touchdowns as, as, as much, perhaps, as, as people would expect. He's throwing for touchdowns and he's finding receivers deep. His deep ball was the thing that people were, were concerned about. Is that going to be the, the thing that he's going to prevent him from making the big leap? And he appears to, have, you know, that, that appears to be the, the next progression. I think he's, he's fantastic to watch. Fantastic to watch. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a great movement on on Twitter from Bills fans because they've had it in their heads for the last two years that PFF hate Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> now, multiple in particular, other, or just PFF, <laughs> just, in particular. I, so I saw today someone some Buffalo website has created a T-shirt which is Buffalo versus PFF. That I think I might buy, <laughs> um, and. Uh, but even even for us, he's graded out as a top ten quarterback so far this season. As as Charles said, the the big concern was that you give him all these weapons, uh, and then you know that deep ball that he's had the last couple of years, he's been thrown out of the stadium. You know the game they played against the Ravens late last year, he had four or five deep passes that were ten yards further than the wide receiver downfield, and the wide receiver was John Brown, who's fast anyway. So it's not like you should be overthrowing him, but. 
they're they're a really well coached team. Um, they've been really good schematically the last couple of years, and they only really need Josh Allen to to kind of hit that kind of top ten, top fifteen quarterback range to be a really dangerous team because they're, you're not going to score a ton of points against them all, very often, um, and they can generate enough on offense that they're going to be a, they're going to be a problem for some of the other teams. And provided they can stay the course and become you know, the, the AFC's champions ahead of the Patriots. It's a situation whereby we went into this season thinking it was Kansas City, Baltimore and Houston at the top of the AFC. The Bills might actually be that third team that need to be reckoned with there. It's certainly interesting. And, and a, you get a point through managing to use the phrase great movement and not using Odell Beckham Jr. in the same sentence. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's go to Philadelphia. What's wrong in Philadelphia, guys? Carson Wentz, 26 of 48, 242 yards, two interceptions. And I don't know about you, but I get uneasy when I see a quarterback throwing that often to such a poor success rate. Oh, he's he was eaten up in week one by the the Washington um, defensive line. But I mean, they they were playing a good team in the Rams. But he he appears to have regressed as a quarterback. He appears to not be able to get the ball out. Decision making appears to be all over the shop. And he's so overly reliant on Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard as his tight ends. There's there there's a lack of confidence there. For me, and Miles Sanders isn't really, you know, from the first two weeks, isn't really helping him. The running game is not, they're not leaning on him as much. You remember the season when he, he was borderline MVP and then obviously they went on to win the Super Bowl. He, he was probably the best quarterback in the, in, the, in the league at that point. He appears to have regressed and, and it's, it's hard to put your finger on why. He, he might be the worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he has, through, through two weeks, he, he has possibly, probably the worst quarterback in the NFL and that's, you know, you hope that's just a two-week blip, but to go from where he was, and he was a genuine MVP candidate, I think he was probably at one point the MVP favourite that year. And he's now looking like the worst quarterback in the NFL. So, there are, and Philadelphia is not a place where you want to start to struggle, even, even without fans in the stadium. There's already people who want Jalen Hurts in there, and Jalen Hurts was the second-round pick. It's not like, you know, he was the first overall pick coming in there. So, there's big trouble in Philadelphia. They've still got a ton of stars on defense, but if Carson Wentz doesn't turn it around, they're they're not going to be a playoff team. They're not going to even threaten the playoffs. And at that point, you know, I really don't know where they're going to go. They could still win that division, though. That division stinks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, an eight, an eight and eight or a nine and seven could win that division at the moment. Quite last year. That's the thing. I mean, it was it was a poor division last year, and it's not improved. Um, judging on what we've seen from Dallas and, and New York at the start of the season, you know, it's. I think I think Philadelphia's offensive line is a mess. There's, there's been injuries, and maybe he's not confident with the, the guys protecting him. That, that could all be. A, and Doug Peterson's a good coach, so it, it, it's it's a strange one. It'll be interesting to see how they kick on in the next couple of weeks, and if they don't, then he's yeah, he's in hot water. A couple of Floridian teams, the Jaguars went on the road. The Jags uh, from Jacksonville nearly knocked off the Titans, 33-30, a little bit tighter than we, we suspected in that one. But the Panthers went down to the Buccaneers and the boy Brady managed to get a win. Did he look any better to you, Gordon? Significantly better um, than he did in his first week. He actually, 
I think he had three touchdowns dropped or, or three big plays downfield dropped by his receivers. Um, he doesn't look like the, the veteran problem. Uh, it's Gronk who looks nothing like the player he was a couple of years ago. But Brady, from week one where he really struggled, um, you know, I think he's taken certainly last week there, he looks more like the quarterback they thought they were getting when they when they signed him this offseason. And I think he's, it's interesting, Charles, isn't it? Because he, he tends to pick on favourite receivers. And, you know, he, he goes looking for different people. So I don't think Mike Evans has got perhaps as much as he thought he might get out of him. You know, he, he got a bit, but, you know, Justin Watson's getting a little bit of love. But the other thing was obviously seeing Leonard Fournette coming back in that game. Well, the thing is, when Brady throws to you, if you don't catch it, you get a volley of abuse. And then he doesn't throw to you for three quarters. So, you know, it's, you're non-negotiable. It's either his way or the highway. If you're a receiver, then you've got to, you've got to step up to the mark. You're, you're right about that. He, does pick on, he picks on certain receivers. Um, it was interesting. He, he, he talked about how much he'd, he'd, he'd got a connection with Scotty Miller. And then there was one that he threw and Miller dropped it in the end zone. I don't think Miller caught another ball all day. Because he never got a he never got a catch. I'm still not convinced about about Brady in Tampa yet. I thought he looked ragged in week one, and I don't. I, I wasn't hugely convinced. I, I, you know, he certainly looked better, but he was up against Carolina or Mince, frankly. You know, they're they're one of the bottom six teams in the league. So, if if Tampa want to be taken seriously as a playoff contender, as a, even as a division contender then they're going to have to step up. And I think that you have to excuse the lack of continuity there and the lack of pre-season really in terms of getting that connection. And Fournette is probably going to be the, the, the secret weapon for them because he, you can just give him the ball and he can just grind it out. Um, and I think Brady's going to have to lean on him if they want to put a run of wins together, if, if, if it were me. We'll be talking about Brady later. Don't worry. <laughs> I've got, I, uh... I have a bone to pick with Brady. <laughs> I I think the really interesting thing or the, the the big thing for for Tampa Bay this week is that other other results and a certain result that happened on Monday night, I think make them a far more likely division winner than they looked in week one. I've no idea what you're talking about, so we'll go, <laughs> we'll go to the Sunday night game and how good I mean, it was a weekend, guys, I think you'll agree. Full of just brilliant games, tremendous matchups to watch. But I mean, Russell Wilson just looked absolutely amazing against the Patriots. 65 points in the game, Seahawks with 35 of them, but it took a late stop. And Cam Newton, for as much as I gave him the ball bag last week for that hideous yellow prom suit, uh, he continues to do it where it counts on the field. He's, he has, I think, probably surprised everybody about how good he's been since he came back um, and he, he, he bossed it in week one. It was, it was Miami, let's be honest. So it wasn't difficult, but his throwing arms back and that's what makes him an elite quarterback. That's what made him an MVP. Um, and the Patriots are, are going to be a threat if he stays healthy. And if he continues to show that that throwing arm is, is a permanent feature, his problem is the fact that he doesn't have any wide receivers apart from Julian Edelman. There's nobody else there. It appears that Nikhil Halley is a bit of a, Harry's a, bit of a bust, um, their first-round pick from last year. But if he, if he is managing it, and if, if Josh McDaniels can scheme it in such a way to allow him to, 
you know, to control the offense. I think that they're going to be very, very dangerous. But he look, he does look great. But you touched on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, I, I heard the stat on, um, on Monday. Russell Wilson's never had an MP, MVP vote. I find that extraordinary. I find that absolutely incredible. And he's playing at an incredible level. And it appears that Seattle have decided, I think you touched on this last week, that they've decided to actually let's let him throw. Let's let him cook and chuck the ball. And if they do that, they're going to be hugely dangerous. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the only blip for Seattle this week was the ridiculous fine that they got for Pete Carroll not wearing a mask. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, but I don't really want to, want to concentrate on that. I want to, how, from, from a pure sort of PFF standpoint, Gordon, I mean, Russell Wilson must be a dream to analyse. I mean, we've said for years that, and, and Chris, who owns PFF now, or owns the majority share on Sunday night, he actually used the phrase, let Russ cook, um, which is something that all the guys in the office have been preaching to him for like the last two years. They, they've had an offense which has been built so much around the running game, but they've got a Hall of Fame quarterback there. Let him throw the ball 10 more times a game, and you see what he can do. He has one of the best arms in the NFL. He's, he can throw it deep downfield. He's so incredibly accurate, and and you saw that again on, on Sunday night. And I think he is – the interesting thing is the, the talk of him never having an MVP vote before has gained a lot of steam this offseason. And it's going to be really interesting because if you were to look at who could be the MVP through the first couple of weeks of the season, I think it's probably him and Rodgers. And I personally would give it to Rodgers so far, but I think there's probably a sympathy vote for Wilson coming in there now because he's never even had a vote. I think people would lean the other way there. And then the other quarterback side there, there are, there are 32 teams in the NFL and the other 31 teams, for some reason this offseason, decided that the best course of action was to allow Bill Belichick to get Cam Newton for $2 million. The, the Chicago Bears went out and paid a, a fifth-round draft pick and a lot of money for Nick Foles to be their backup quarterback. But even if you're a team like even if you're a team like the Ravens, if you're a team like the Chiefs, I don't understand why you didn't go out and try and sign Cam Newton to be your backup quarterback for $3 million rather than let him go to New England because him going to New England is very possibly going to cost a Super Bowl contender in the playoffs um, if he continues to play like this. But it makes the NFL so much more fun. When he is playing at the level he's playing just now, he's an incredibly fun player to watch. Um, and it made him and Russell Wilson just made for one of the best games I've seen in the last couple of years on Sunday. Gordon, do you wonder whether, I mean, touching on why teams didn't go near Cam Newton, is, is it due to what Paul hates, his ball baggery, perhaps? And the fact is that maybe only one or two coaches could really control him, which is one of the reasons he's ended up in New England. I mean, he, Belichick is savvy enough to kind of just let him be himself. I mean, they, they've, touched, they've touched players who are problematic in recent times in the past, like Josh Gordon and, and Antonio Brown, and they've been burned. But Belichick's never been shy of, of making a, a bold decision. And... I don't think there's many teams that could have taken Cam Newton and dealt with the persona that he is. Yeah, I think I think as well, like the persona thing, there are a lot of people in the NFL who just don't necessarily understand having like a, a young guy who's flamboyant and, you know, over the top. We see it in numerous positions and I think it still scares a lot of teams having a quarterback who, you know, is... Uh, flamboyant, I think is probably the best word. He'll show up in, you know, a ridiculous suit, you know, He'll I show up. Like the suit, actually. I don't I, I, the suit's great. I thought oh, the, great. The, the, 
bandana he wore over his head was great. There was there was a, a thing from him talking earlier this season where he's in like a, a tight T-shirt and he says like, hello, and throws his hand up. I, I think he's really entertaining to watch, but there's all, there are a lot of people in the NFL who are, you know, old men who are in their 60s now who will just think that that's just something that I can't deal with and I can't, I can't cope with that. So I'm, I'm pointing at Mitchell here. <laughs> I, 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 easy. I remember I'm controlling the Zoom call. There's, but there, there are a lot of guys. I mean, I mean, Cam Newton's not the first guy to be a flashy quarterback. You know, you go back to Joe Namath and, and all that kind of thing. I think we've seen it before, but I think these guys, in my argument, I think carried themselves a little bit better. But Cam's doing his talking on the field. Now, I'm gonna. I was going to go to the weekly awards, and I've actually forgotten that I didn't mention the Saints game. So I'm going to let you both have a little go. Now, what you've got to remember is there's something called Southern hospitality, and how rude would it have been to go to somebody's new house and not let them win? I mean, come on. They're from New Orleans. They were never going to let that happen. They're just perfect southern gentlemen. A little tip of the hat. You take the home win, we'll beat you when we play you next time. There we go. Yeah, I think I think as well. And showing up with the gift of Drew Brees no longer having an arm was no, no, a very no, kind no. thing for the, <laughs> for the Saints to do. I, I think, Paul, the big question we have to ask is, how many more weeks does Drew Brees have of struggling and struggling to push the ball downfield before there is a genuine discussion about what you do at the quarterback position? Because for a guy who is absolutely going in the Hall of Fame, is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, the concern at the end of last year was his arm has very much fallen off in terms of being able to push the ball downfield. If anything, it looks worse early this season. Um, and I think... For a team that is very much all in and winning the Super Bowl in this season, if not the next two seasons, I think at some point there's going to be a discussion unless unless they can, you know, build the offense a different way and focus more on the short passing game, or unless Breeze can can find some of that deep accuracy again. Is is one of the issues though not from if you're looking purely at Monday night's game, the fact that they were 10, 10 nil up going into the second quarter and the defense has shipped thirty-four points. And this Saints defense is meant to be one of the top five in football. I'm sorry, this is the Raiders we're talking about here. <laughs> and albeit the Raiders are an improved team and they were playing at home in their new stadium, which I love the fact that they're calling it the Death Star. It's classic Raiders. Oh, brilliant. Um, etymology. Um, shame that there's no support. Can you imagine what it would be like if there'd been fans there? But um, you can't ship 34 points to the Raiders if you are taken seriously as a defense. And... You know, wait, Breeze, I've been banging on about Breeze for a while. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be overly worried if I was a New Orleans fan about Breeze because he's got perfect backup. He throws a ball a mile for, for 5,000 dollars <laughs> last year. The, the, other, the other thing though, if you go back a week now, Breeze was actually better in the 10 to 20 yard category than the 0 to 10 this week. But if you go back a week, you know, Breeze was the guy who just beat Tom Brady, who was supposed to be this brilliant quarterback coming new in. So I, I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I think the big test comes, and we'll talk about it in the next part of the podcast, you know, Sunday night football when Green Bay come to town. So Charles, you'll get your chance. I'm going, though, to the Belter, Bowfin and Bobag. So you guys, I'm going to read. We've got loads of them. I can't read them all out, so I'm going to pick some out, and I need you guys to make the decision. So let's have a look at this. Long Callahan, Bowfin, the Eagles, booed off the field by piped in stadium noise. I like that one. Uh, Paulie reckons that too many to choose from for the Belter, but he loves Josh Allen. 
uh, Philip Spears got in touch, Belter, Alan to Gabe Davis, Bowfin, all the injuries, and Bob Hag, the Atlantic Falcons, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, Zero Dark 40, Belter, Kyler Money, he's balling. Uh, Bowfin, the Detroit Lions defense statistically worse than the 2008 Lions, who went 0-16. And Bob Ag, the Falcons' entire kickoff recovery team, and he, he says, and I will read it out in the way he said it, pick up the damn ball. I think in capitals, I probably got that. Uh, Belter, <laughs> LG Collier, and he stopped to Newton. We well worthy of the award. Both in the Vikings um, for all the new players and not going there. Ball Bank, the Saints ruined what would have been a perfect 16 out of 16. I can't uh, disagree with that. Matthew Inkster, Belter, Russell Wilson, both in the Jets. He suggests we just give them that award in perpetuity for the rest of the season. Uh, Quandry Diggs in the injury which doctor was the ball bag uh, Belter Dak Bowfin Kirk Cousins and ball bags the football spinners of fate for so many serious injuries this week that comes from Michael McLeod now we've got Gavin Newlands MP who I think was trying to noise me up as well but we don't mind that Belter Darren Walker no surprise there Bowfin Malcolm Jenkins when he manages to get out of Chucky's back pocket of course and ball bags Falcons with a dishonorable mention for the Cheatriots I like that name, I must admit. <laughs> uh, Belter says, Denny Ford, all things Russell Wilson. The injuries are bowfing and Bob Axe, the Giants' defence. Uh, Mackie, Kyler Murray is Belter. Bowfing, Hillend Hellbadger's going going to. Uh, that's his fantasy team. And Bob Ag, Adam Gase. Always Adam Gase, he simply says. Um, Justin Tucker's catch when Lamar was throwing the ball away. The man can do everything, suggestion from Mike Thorburn. Sean Black goes quite wide here, actually. Belter is the new era of, era of quarterbacks really on fire. Bob Axe, Falcons, what an implosion. And Bob Ag is Gase. Uh, just a few more trying to pick them out. Belter, Russell Wilson, both from the Jets. Bob Ag, Kirk Cousins, that's Shawnee B. Uh, Belter says Ross Black, Justin Herbert, to be told that you're making your debut just a few minutes before and you then go and turn that in. It's brilliant. Both from Jets, Eagles, Vikings, you pick. Bob Ag, Falcons special teams. Uh, Darren Barry got in touch. The onside kick recovery. Doesn't think enough love's been given to the Cowboys. Saquon doing his ACL is Bowfin. And how about for Bobag? Mike McCarthy calling a fake punt inside his own half and failing not once, but twice. And the last two, we've got Chaz got in touch. Belter, Kyler Murray, Bowfin, the Eagles, Bobag, all the injuries. And uh, LJ, the Steeler. Belter, Burrows, Murray, Allen brilliant quarterbacks, Bowfin, whatever forces were dishing out the injuries and Bob uh, Quandry digs for that hit. Gentlemen, you are our final panel. Let's start with a belter. Who would you say was our belter for the week? Well, uh, I'm going to give it to Harrison Butker for not only once, not twice, but three times nailing the game-winning kick from plus 50 yards because he nailed the 53-yarder and then there was a holding penalty. So it went back to 58. And then as he popped that one over, he was iced and then he had to do it again. So to kick three in the space of about 90 seconds from over 50 yards to win the game, that is class. And I think, unfortunately, Gordon, Justin Tucker's got a rival for the best kicker in the league, quite possibly. I think I think we'll see on on Monday night that it's not it's not in fact Harrison Butker. Uh, uh, Justin Tucker doesn't look as good now because the Ravens finally have an offense and they can actually score touchdowns. But uh, I do think he was pretty good. My 
belter. I think it probably, I, I'm going to say it was Sunday night football. I think a, a really great way to, to end the, the Sunday slate. Uh, Russell Wilson playing like everyone knows he can. Cam Newton being back and in that offense. I, I think anytime you can get a game like that, um, it's great. So rather than a player, I'm going to say that was the belter, that game in particular. Okay, I'll stay with you, Gordon, for our Bowfin Award. Is it the Jets, or can you go slightly deeper? <laughs> I mean, the Jets are the Jets are terrible, but it's expected. It's like you know, you know, you know what was coming with the Jets. I think I think everyone who said injuries got it absolutely right. The the injuries this week, losing so many star players, um, you know, especially Nick Bosa, especially Saquon Barkley. It's just horrible. It just it has an impact on you know the star power in the NFL only two weeks into the season. So um, yeah, I thought that was terrible. I, th- I think you're absolutely right on that. But it, it it's a very interesting debate about the value of preseason because there's been a lot of talk about whether or not preseason games are worthwhile. Um, and I think there's a there's a vibe in the states that actually, do you know what? Why do we need preseason? Let's go straight into it because I mean. The, the, it, the whole concept of a month of preseason games, I think, makes everybody fall asleep. But it, it, it can't be a coincidence that so many players have managed to get season-ending injuries within the first fortnight of the season starting. So you do wonder whether or not that debate will rise again, if indeed we get around to this time next year and we've got a normal opportunity for preseason. The injuries have been appalling, and it takes away from a, you know. You, you know, from an exciting season, and it, it, I mean, it's great to see other players get a chance in in their wake. But that is a it's a horrible situation. I felt for Saquon Barkley. I mean, you know, he got absolutely rattled, and you think, oh, damn, he could be done. He gets himself back up. He gets back into the game, and the next play, you know, he does get rattled and is out. I, I really, I really felt for him. Ball bags. We've got a lot of ball bags. A lot of the Atlanta uh, Quandre Diggs was getting a fair old shout. As well, who, who catches your eye as, as the ball bags of the week? Well, I, I'm going to have a pop at uh, an NFC North, a uh, couple of NFC North rivals. It's joint uh, joint decision making in the um, Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions uh, front office. Who gave Kirk Cousins 85 million dollars to have a 15.9 passer rating against the Colts? I mean, that was just crackers, and he's signed through 2022. Mm. He, he can't generate an offense. So whoever gave him that contract needs a shoeing. And whoever thinks that the Detroit Lions have a strategy as a football club, also they do need serious questions asked of them. So I think that that's where the ball baggery lies. Uh, and fortunately, it's in the NFC North, which is dominated by one team and one team only. So I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> I... I, I don't overly, especially the Kirk Cousins one, it's it's very hard to disagree um, with that. But I think, and I'm going to excuse everyone for missing this one when they tweeted it in because it only came out today. But I think the absolute stick on for ball bag of the week is the Los Angeles Chargers team doctor who punctured his quarterback's lung um, before the games even started like that. You know, and maybe long term, they'll find some kind of benefit out of the fact that Justin Herbert got some more experience. But on the list of things you could do that are probably not part of the job, puncturing, puncturing your quarterback's lung um, seems pretty high on the list. I, I think they, they probably should have known by his name tag, which said Dr. H. Herbert, 
but obviously that didn't give anything away to them. Uh, so. Justin, Justin Herbert was um, pre-med in, in college as well. He did biology, and if he hadn't went in the NFL, I think he would have gone into to medicine. I think that was his that was his backup. I wonder what the doctor did in, in college because it wasn't giving <laughs> injections. That's for sure. I will give a shout out to to the Chargers. I was able to listen to their game on the radio. I just connected to the Chargers website and was able to say that I wasn't listening on a mobile device and was able to listen to the game. Matt Money Smith doing the call it was really good. I love the NFL on the radio. It's just something special about it. Guys, we are running out of time, so I'd like to do two things. I'd like to pick a few games from week three that I think are too tasty, not to mention. And then we're going to have what is classed as Charles's chicken wing quickfire debate. So we'll see where we go from them. So I'm just going to, I've got the schedule in front of me. I'm just going to uh, chuck out a few games that I think catch my eye. Um, and I'm going through quite a few and none of them are. Raiders Patriots could be interesting. Are the Raiders for real? I think they're a little bit better uh, than we thought they would be. But no matter what happens, they will leave New England at worst on the same record as them. And I don't think we expected that at the start of the season. Rams-Bills could, could be an interesting one. Two, two and old teams. Does that tickle your fancy in any way, Charles? Yeah, that is a tasty game. I look forward to seeing what Josh Allen does against the Los Angeles defence. Interesting to see if the, I mean, the offensive line in Buffalo is really good, but interesting to see what uh, Aaron Donald does to it and whether or not he takes a punt and a shot with the deep ball with Jalen Ramsey on the same field. It'll be really fascinating to see how they go against the Rams because the Rams, for me, have been probably the most impressive team in terms of their improvement in the opening two weekends of the season. I, I mentioned earlier, I've been, I've been catching up with hard knocks and I have been so impressed by Sean McVay and the way in which he communicates to his team and the way in which everything is, is laid out. And I, I thought a couple of years ago when obviously they reached the Super Bowl, I thought the Rams were a bit of a, um, you know, it was a bit flat, a bit too flashy and I wasn't convinced by McVay. I'm really convinced by him now. I, I, I'm really impressed by him. So I, I think, does anyone else remember? So there was a couple of years ago when Jalen Ramsey was in Jacksonville and there was a thing, I think it was like an interview with him and it was in, it wasn't GQ, but something like that. And they basically went through opposing quarterbacks with him. And when it got to Josh Allen, Jalen Ramsey had one word and it was trash. So that's going to be a really interesting part of this week because if I'm Josh Allen, I want to be going after him and try and prove him wrong. However, if I'm Josh Allen, I probably shouldn't be trying to prove Jalen Ramsey wrong in case I fall a little bit back down to earth after the first couple of weeks. Yeah, that, that is, that's a good point. Bengals could win for the first time on the road. I mean, if the Eagles go in three, that, that would be a disaster for them. Are the Bears for real or can the Falcons you know, ping back? Dan Quinn must be in trouble there again. If you look at it, I mean, the Steelers, if the Steelers can go 3-0, and the Texans can almost kiss their season goodbye, you would think. Uh, Panthers, Chargers, Jets, Colts, I won't be tuning into. Lions, Cardinals, Cowboys, Seahawks. Let's go to some of the later games. So, Cowboys, Seahawks. Now, if the Cowboys had been 0-2 and the Seahawks 2-0, and you would have thought, okay. But it, it, do the Cowboys have it in the, themselves to go there and win that? Or is that just a, a meh kind of game? I think the Cowboys are almost a better team when there isn't an expectation on them. And I think going into this game, the expectation will be they are not the, the favourites in that game. So uh, going on the road to Seattle, a team that are 2-0 and have looked very good, um, I think there's a there's a good chance that they're able to sneak a win out of that because they don't have the pressure of the expectation. 
Uh, I actually look at it a different way because I, I, I don't think they're for real. I think every year people big up Dallas <laughs> and then they have a great game and then they fall flat on their face. And then they have a great game or they have an amazing comeback like last week. And so everyone will be pumped up. Jerry Jones will be doing the media every day of the week. And they're going, I think they're going to get absolutely the floor wiped with them up there. I, I, they've got a good offense, but the defense is not shown up thus far. So I can see Seattle taking care of business there. That You can see if that's going to be one of our picks this week. I know which way I'm going. Oh, I mean, I, I'm still going to Seattle. I just think, I just think it could be interesting because I think they might, they might sneak it out. No, need, I'm not picking them, though. You want a good Dallas. You want a good Dallas team competing because it makes the league more interesting. Buccaneers-Broncos, you would expect if, if the, the Buccaneers are serious, they will go up to Denver with their second-string quarterback and win. Okay, Charles, the moment you've been waiting for all evening and perhaps all day from the abuse that I've been getting. Green Bay Packers 2-0 and at the New Orleans Saints, 1-1, and Sunday night football, big stage, all of America's watching. What are we going to see? Uh, I think we'll see points. I think we'll see... Hopefully, we'll see a New Orleans team turn up. Um, I don't think they've really shown everything that they can show in the first two weeks. And I think we'll see the Green Bay are for real. And the fact that they've been slightly ignored, I think, in the NFC over the summer and into the start of the season until now. Um, it's, a, it's an acid test for, for the Packers, there's no doubt. But I think if you were looking at this game a month ago, you'd be worried as, as, as a Packers fan. I don't think that they will be as worried now going, going to New Orleans as they perhaps would have been just because of the way they've started and because also the way the Saints have started. And the Saints have got problems, but I don't know what you think. Would you agree that the Saints have got problems? And are you worried as a fan about this one? I, I have to be absolutely honest with you to say, not in the slightest. I mean, you've beaten the Vikings and the Lions, which doesn't overly excite me. Um, I would have expected you to win those two games. We, we've beaten the Golden Boy at home and we had a bad second half of a defence. So I'm, I'm not overly concerned. What I would say to you is I don't think uh, Sean Payton has called the place particularly well. I thought it was particularly bad against Tampa Bay. The game, the Raiders, I would have been more worried if the Raiders had gone out of the gate and stomped on the Saints. The Saints, to me, should have won that game. And with a couple of plays of, of common sense, uh, arguably they could have turned around. So no, I'm not. I'm not as concerned. So we have to turn to the voice of reason, uh, mm. Gordon. Where do, where's this I'm, one going? I'm probably going to really upset you, Paul. Here, That's I, okay. I I don't think this is going to be close. I think the Packers are going to win this by two touchdowns, maybe more. Um, People probably aren't talking about Aaron Rodgers' revenge season. And I like how he's writing something down here. I can see him on the screen as he makes, right. a, makes a note of this. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, this is his revenge season. The Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round. I hated the pick at the time, but maybe, maybe it was exactly what Aaron Rodgers needed to get back on track. He's looked great through the first two weeks of the season. And I think Aaron Rodgers, in prime time, on Sunday night football, with that motivation to continue to prove people wrong. I think he's going to have one of the, the best games of his career. And I, I really worry about where the Saints are with Drew Brees. So I, I think this winds up being a very comfortable Green Bay victory. You leave me, with no, you leave me with no alternative but to, to put a burger on that. I'll take, the, <laughs> I'll take the 14 points on that, if you don't mind. Um, At least you're not cutting him off the podcast. Because I thought you were going to do that for a minute. No, no, no. I'm, 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 
I'm trying to be fair. I mean, I'm crying on the inside, but I'm trying to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, so we'll, see where, we'll see where that goes. Actually, I think the Saints are like one bad game away from home, one bad half away from home, and uh, I'm relatively confident apart from that. So that then moves us on to the Chiefs going to the Ravens Monday night football, which I think looks a lot better televisually-wise. Still think Steve Levy's just a little bit too excited and some of the graphics have left me a bit cold, but certainly it's better booth than it was. Are we seeing a battle for the MVP in this one? You know, you know, to win this game, does it give you a significant advantage in that race? I think it does, but I, think, I, I don't think either of these will wind, either of these guys wind up being the MVP. I think it probably winds up being Rogers, Wilson, maybe even someone like Josh Allen. Um, the interesting thing here is that there's been a lot made of the Ravens' inability to beat the Chiefs in two. You know, Lamar Jackson's lost, I think, three regular season games since he took over as the Ravens' starting quarterback. Two were against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and it's these are the two teams in the NFL – right now that if you score, or in the AFC certainly, if you score 30 points against, you're probably only 25% certain that you're winning the game. Um, we're going to see two offences that understand they're going to have to keep their foot on the gas all game long. You know, the Ravens aren't, the Ravens build the lead, they have the running game that can really suffocate and take time off the clock um, against the Chiefs. But Patrick Mahomes is the type of player who can easily walk into Baltimore Monday night and put up 40 points. So it's going to be a really interesting game. I, I think the Ravens as a team will want to get Lamar Jackson this win because so much has been made of his inability to win big games. And I think it's been massively overblown on, on two playoff games that I think the most recent one had a lot of bad luck in it. I, I, I think that as a team, they're going to want to, to show something for him and to shut up a lot of people that I think still think the Chiefs are, are the best team in the AFC. Here's a stat to scare you, Gordon. Pat Mahomes in September as a, a quarterback, 9-0, and 28 passing touchdowns, zero interceptions in the month of September. That is frightening. He, he'll, have, he'll have one on Monday night. I, I might not be certain of a victory. He'll throw an interception on Monday night. Well, the, the Monday night game I remember Kansas City playing was that ridiculous game against the Rams, which Fish yeah. finished 55-51 or something ridiculous. And, I mean, he was just off the scale that day. That was obviously a November game, so, you know, he doesn't fall into this, into this kind of statistical category. But I think ultimately you're looking at two t- It's going to come down to probably the last possession, whoever's got the ball last. And then it comes down to the kickers and who's the best kicker in the league and is Butker on Tucker's radar as, you know, is he ready to supersede him as the best kicker in the league from 55 yards? Statistically, they are both the most accurate kickers in NFL history, I think. I know Tucker's definitely number one, but I'm pretty certain I saw something recently that Butker is now number two. So in the history of playing football, the two most accurate kickers, which means you can guarantee that this game comes down to one of those guys missing an extra point. It's going to be fascinating. Right, before we go to our quick-fire debate, which will finish the podcast, a couple of shout-outs. First of all, to uh, Charles from Edinburgh, who went six out of six on his pickums. We have to acknowledge that, Charles. That was stunningly well done. Nine out of 12 uh, leads our league. Well played. Um, I got a bagel last year. I got a zero out of six, I think, in week three last year. I think you, that's redemption. You are our original all or nothing kind of guy. <laughs> uh, keep having commit dreams. Got 16 out of 16 on our 
Pigskin Pick'em League, um, which is highly impressive. So we give him a shout out. Now, the presidential debates are coming up in America very soon. So I'm going to pit the two of you against each other here and I'll chuck in as well. So you're not allowed to waffle. You're not allowed to shout at each other and you've got to be relatively nice, but it's quick fire debate time. So I'll give you sort of 15, 20 seconds on this and I want an answer. So question one, Charles, you're first. Is the AFC stronger than the NFC? Yes. Ravens, Chiefs, Steelers, who are a dark horse for the Super Bowl. Um, Bills, all big-time Super Bowl candidates. NFC, maybe only one or two teams, and there's a lot of dross in the NFC East. Yes, definitely. At the top, I actually think it's probably a tie. I think Kansas City, Baltimore, Green Bay, Seattle, through the first couple of weeks of the season – I would struggle to pick games between those teams. I think overall, the AFC playoff field probably is better. But at the top, which is ultimately what's going to matter in February, I don't think the NFC is behind. Okay. Did Belichick make Brady a better quarterback than he actually was, Gordon? No. <laughs> Tom Brady's arguably the best quarterback of all time. I think that's a great situation where you had a great coach and a great quarterback. Brady is still getting it done at his old age in Tampa. They made each other. Uh, neither one made the other. Not having it. I've never been a Brady <laughs> fan. Uh, you can tell I've set the questions here. Um, no, I'm not having it. I think Brady's going to struggle this year. I'm, I'm writing Cameron's 8-8 eight and eight bucks. I don't think they're going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. I, I have to say that he's, he's, it's going to take him time to get, get up to speed, but Belichick's proved in two weeks that he can completely transform his offense. And Josh McDaniels has completely transformed the Patriots' offense. They could win with me at quarterback. Seriously. <laughs> They're that good. Belichick is that good. And you see me throw a ball. So Brady, Brady, a great quarterback, probably the greatest of all time. But I'm sorry, he was fortunate to fall it in, into New England. Excellent stuff. Gents, the NFC West is the toughest division in football, yes or no? Yes. I think so. I think all. I think you could you can make a case for all four teams getting to the playoffs. Um, Cardinals have looked really good. They play an offense like nobody else. Seattle, we've talked about. LA Rams, most improved team so far over the first two games, and San Francisco are the defending NFC champions. And I still think they could make the the playoffs, even though they, they've got no players left. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really that close either. I think probably the closest division is the AFC North, but. You've got Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland maybe as a playoff team and the Bengals are nowhere near. So uh, the NFC West um, just has a ton of star power. The Cardinals, my sneak Super Bowl pick, can go 3-0 this week. So if they're a 3-0 team in that division, it's a pretty good division. Okay. Are the Raiders for real, Gordon? Probably not. No. Um, they, uh, they benefited from playing a, a poor agent quarterback on Monday night. Um, <laughs> they... Thanks, thanks, Gordon. Charles, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, in the division they play in, they'll struggle to win it. Can they make the playoffs? Yes. They've got a game manager at quarterback, but he doesn't turn it over very often. Are they for real? Can they win the Super Bowl? No. Could they make the playoffs? Yes. Do we want to see the Raiders as an exciting team making the playoffs? Yes, because they're better for football. Got time for one more, and you suggested two, Charles. I'll need to pick one. So oh, I'll go on. with, was the entire world wrong to write off Aaron Rodgers? Charles, take the floor. Oh, gosh. I remember, remember when Jordan Love got picked and the world imploded. 
dear me, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in terms of talent of the last 20 years until Patrick Mahomes came along. I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, never write him off. As Gordon said, he's on his revenge season and he doesn't need an extra rookie wide receiver. I mean, he's got the talent there in the running back. He's got Devontae Adams and he's got the swagger. And it's, it's, it, it, it's, it was negligent of everyone to assume that Green Bay were not, you know, were just going to subside after. And it was a soft 13 and three. I mean, he is, he's the man. He's, he's the only man out there who can produce ridiculous throws um, down the sideline until Mahomes came along that would basically turn a game on its head. And he's still got it. And I, I think he can keep going for another five years. Whether he's in Green Bay or not in five years' time, that's a different argument. <laughs> Gordon? I, I think the, the debate on whether or not people trusted him or people were writing him off is entirely down to the way he played in recent years. The Packers drafted a young quarterback in the first round because they'd got to the point that they weren't sure if Rodgers was still going to be the answer. I think he, he's absolutely proven everyone wrong. But the reason why people were questioning it is because he was not the quarterback we've seen the first two weeks this season in the last two, three years. So, Some people need a kick in the backside once in a while. <laughs> I, actually, I, I, I think the plaudits have to go to the Green Bay front office. If they did that to get a reaction, boy, did they get a reaction. Absolutely no doubt about it. It's going to be fascinating to watch all the games coming up this week. But that's the full-time whistle for episode 116. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, that's at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the action from week three and get ready for week four. My thanks to Gordon, my thanks to Charles as well. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to regularly check the NFL Scotland website. Thanks to our new batch of writers, content is added on a regular basis. Enjoy your football. We'll be back next week. So until then, bye for now.